Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. High Theory has been a podcast for over a year. We are astonished. We never expected this to happen. And we want to express our gratitude to all the people who helped us along the way. Thank you to all of our guests, fellow podcasters, and friends. To our loyal supporters who spread the word on social media, you are the bomb. Thank you to our wonderful global audience who tune into our episodes from Kolkata, India, to Downey, California. Without our loyal listeners, none of this would have been possible. And thank you for listening to High Theory. On High Theory with us today, we have Manan Kapoor, and we are going to talk about the ghazal, the poetic form, and also the greatest practitioner of the ghazal form in the English language, who Manan has written a book about. Before we go on to the questions, Manan, would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Manan Kapoor and I am an Indian writer and translator and the author of The Lamentations of Somber Sky, which was released in 2016. And my latest book is A Map of Longings, The Life and Works of Aga Shahid Ali. What the heck is the ghazal? To put it very simply, it is a poetic form that has a rhyme, meter and formal demands, much like the sonnet, which I think is a form that a lot of people, at least in the West, are aware of. The ghazal goes back to 7th century Arabia and its descendants are found in uh, not only in Arabic, right. but in various other languages, including Persian, Urdu, Turkish, Hindi, and even Spanish. As a matter of fact, the famous poet Federico Garcia Lorca wrote gazelas, right. which were right. essentially ghazals that he had inherited from his Moorish Andalusian heritage. But to really understand what a ghazal is, I think one needs to understand what it is not. Right. It is not a free verse poem. Mm. It has a structure, yeah. a rhyme scheme, and there are rules and demands which the poet writing them has to abide by. And I think that was the biggest mistake that American poets made. Poets like Adrian Rich, Jim Harrison, and Phyllis Webb. They were the first poets to write what they called 
free verse ghazals in english in the 70s right. but a free verse ghazal is in itself a contradiction because the most important element of a ghazal like so many other poetic forms is the rhyme and the refrain it's like well if you write a 14 line poem can you call it a sonnet no you can't right so in a ghazal there are couplets and there is a rhyme and the refrain and so many other elements that i will get to later a ghazal is often defined as the cry of the gazelle when it is cornered in a hunt and it knows that it's about to die right so shahid rightly called it an occasion for grief not angst ah. so that's really what a ghazal is it is a poetic form which is not very different from uh, forms such as the canzone or a villanelle where you have couplets and a very strict structure that has to be followed by the poet writing it and right. without the formal demands i think it's simply a free verse poem because we are talking also about your brilliant new book could you give us a sense of Agha Shahid Ali's life and work a little bit, especially how he comes to the Ghazal form. Shahid called himself a Kashmiri-American poet, right? So yeah. he was born in 1949 and he lived on the subcontinent till 1975, which is when he moves to America for his PhD at Penn State. And he'd grown up listening to the Ghazal's affairs and in New Delhi when he was at Hindu college, he was a student there. That's when he became really close to the famous singer Begum Akhtar. She really brought him closer to the ghazal as a poetic form. She sort of like rekindled this formal spirit. But when he moves to the United States in 1975, he comes across the ghazals of the poets I mentioned, Adrian Rich and Jim Harrison. And what they were doing was essentially writing free verse poems and they called it anti-ghazals. Right. So that's when he finally realized that it was something that, like, I mean, he never thought that it was cultural appropriation or anything of that sort but he really felt that the american poets had misappropriated the form that if they really understood what could be done with the form they could work wonders so shahid was someone who came up with the rules of a ghazal and he wrote to so many american poets saying that here is a poetic form that comes from the indian subcontinent that's been around since the 7th century and so why don't you try it yeah. and yeah. he ended up compiling an anthology of ghazals in english which were written just by american poets so he's really someone who's popularized the form and in so many ways he's also transformed the poetic form itself because now it's had what you call a pizza effect yeah. the ghazals were primarily written in urdu and persian and the indian subcontinent but after shah had did all that in america now they've come back and english language poets from the subcontinent are writing ghazals in english so that way shahid has really contributed to the form and how accessible it is today my second question is how do we use the ghazal but I wanted to rephrase it and ask you how does Shahid use the ghazal I think Shahid explained the formal demands of a ghazal really well both in theory and in practice to really know how to use a ghazal I think one must understand the various components of the form which are the radif the kafia the makta the matla among other things I'll try and explain all of those as I explain it I think I'll read from Shahid's ghazal called in Arabic that's the title of the ghazal and so you can listen to the sound and the rhythm listening to the repetition the sound and the rhythm of a ghazal really helps one understand the form right so there are some basic formal demands of a ghazal the opening couplet that sets up the scheme of the rhyme called the kafia and the refrain called the radif shahid had once written that once a poet establishes the rhyme scheme they become its slave and in the rest of the poem there is this tension of the slave trying to master the master so mm. If you look at Shahid's ghazal 
in Arabic, which I think is one of his finest ghazals. The opening couplet goes something like this. A language of loss. I have some business in Arabic. Loved letters. Calligraphy pitiless in Arabic. Now, the word business and pitiless forms the rhyme and the phrase in Arabic is the refrain. Mm. Now, in the following couplets, this scheme of rhyme and refrain occurs only in the second line of the couplet. So, in the first line, the poet is sort of free to establish the problem or the concern. Right. The second or the third or the fifth couplet of the ghazal would be something like, This much fuss about a language I don't know. So, one day, perfume from a dress may let you digress in Arabic. Mm. I too, O Amakai, saw everything just like you did in death in Hebrew. And please, let me stress in Arabic. So it goes on. You can hear the rhyme in the second line. After business, he writes digress and stress and, you know, it goes on like that. But the refrain remains the same in Arabic. And Shahid had called the Persian model the real ghazal and it was the form that he had based his ghazals on. This was the form that he would, like, send to other poets. So according to that, a ghazal ideally has a minimum of five couplets and there is no maximum limit, really, Technically, a ghazal could go on forever, but I think the accepted standard is between 12 to 15 couplets. And to mark the end of the ghazal, often a poet has a signature couplet called the makta, in which they invoke the name or their pseudonym. Right. So, for instance, one of the most famous poets, Mirza Siddullah Khan, yeah. he used Ghalib as his nom de plume mm. in the last couplets of his ghazal. That's how he came to be known as Ghalib. Aga Shahid Ali used Shahid. And I think he does something really wonderful here. It is, in fact, I think one of his most famous couplets where he talks about his name and reflects his position as the beloved and a witness. And so the last couplet of in Arabic, he wrote, They ask me to tell them what Shahid means. Listen, listen. It means the beloved in Persian, mm. witness in Arabic. Right. This couplet is, in fact, what he chose to place as the epitaph on his tombstone in Northampton. Yeah. That's really what the form is. I think the most important aspect that needs to be understood here is that the couplets in a ghazal, unlike a free verse poem, do not have any thematic unity. One couplet could be about God, another could be about the lover or beloved, and the next couplet could be political or about revolution. And Shahid explained this aspect really well and compared it to a necklace. So he said that each couplet in a ghazal could be seen as a pearl that can shine in isolation but once the couplets come together they can form a very beautiful necklace again i'll have to talk about a little bit of history to explain what the purpose of this system really is yeah growing up most people from the indian subcontinent i think hear a ghazal before they actually read one like many other oral traditions the ghazal has an oral purpose it was sung by singers like Begum Akhtar and I think Begum Akhtar's rendition of Fez Ahmed Fez's ghazal Ay Kuch Abdul Sharabai is one of the most wonderful examples of this. Right. So in this continent, the ghazal was meant to be presented at Mushairas, which were poetry symposiums where the poet would recite the first couplet of the ghazal and establish the refrain. So the audience who were then aware of the refrain would wait in anticipation for the poet to enthrall them with the wordplay and they would applaud and say Vava in rapture, which Vava is basically a sort of praise. But this back and forth and the tension created by the refrain, the anticipation of the next couplet and the familiarity with the end rhyme was really what held a ghazal together. So those are really the rules for writing a ghazal and that's how poets can use the form. You know, we talked about the format and the prosody of the ghazal. 
and also the kind of sociological setting of it. We talked about Musharraf a little bit, but what about the emotions that it is meant to carry? You talked about the etymology of the ghazal as a lament. Right. So I'm wondering what are the traditional emotions that the ghazal carries, what Shahid does with it. So there are really different concerns, but I think the most important thing is that of the beloved and the lover, the tension between those things. And I think it is the perfect form to express the relationship between a beloved and the lover. And a poet like Fez Ahmed Fez started writing ghazals. He still wrote about the beloved and the lover, but he extended that metaphor to the revolution coming from a Marxist background. Really, I mean, when you read the Urdu poets and their ghazal or the Persian poets as well, every couplet is sort of this universe in itself. And in so many ways, they're connected to the rest of the couplets in a ghazal. But one small couplet, one tiny couplet can express so much. And the beauty of it is that there is this duality in the Urdu language. So really, it's this platform where you can express so much in subtle, you know. How will the ghazal save the world? I don't know about saving the world, but I remember Shahid had once written that if one writes in free verse to subvert the Western civilization, then uh, one should surely write in forms to save oneself from the Western civilization. But I don't know if ghazals or poetry in general can save the world. I don't think that's the purpose of poetry or what uh, poets think that their work does. I really do believe that poetry can heal us, especially like a form like Ghazals, because if you're from the Indian subcontinent, you've heard people quote couplets of Talib and Meer, yeah. most likely in times of distress, and it's almost a sigh, you know. I don't know if Ghazals can save the world, but I think it can liberate poets writing in the form. And I think for many poets, especially for whom the form is completely new, who are approaching it for the first time, it can seem a little perplexing and complex. But I think once you get a hold of it, once you understand why there are so many formal demands and what they do and what all they are for, it allows them to fly because in so many ways, I think it can bring the best out of them. If a poet is writing in this form, it can be extremely liberating because you already have the rhyme and the refrain. So the poet needs to work their way around it. Right. It can lead to some wonderful results. And I think that's the reason it has become so popular in not just America, but all around the world, you know. Yeah. And you talked about poets in the Indian subcontinent, some of them writing in English who are using the ghazal form. Could you give us some of your favorites, some of the ones you like? I mean, I know of so many poets from Delhi. Right. So there is Manishwarak Bhattacharaji who was my professor, he's written a lot of ghazals. There's Akhil Katyal, there's Maaz bin Bilal, and Maaz actually came out with this collection, it's called Ghazal Nama. So there are a lot of ghazals there. There are translations of Ghalib, there are translations of other Urdu poets. I think Jeet Thail has written a ghazal yes, yeah. in Malayalam. So he sort of like plays on like that whole aspect. A lot of Indian poets are now writing in this form, and in English, right? So that's the most important thing here, because... Before Shahid, ghazals were primarily written in Urdu and it's only like after he transformed and popularized the form in the West that they came back and now people have started writing in this form in the English language. Thank you so much, Manan, for coming to High Theory and talking about the ghazal form. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope 
you have a highly theoretical day.